Hey, Goalgetters. Maggie here. I'm director of communities at A Sweat Life, and I'm also one of the podcast hosts alongside Kristen, Gina, and Cindy. And this whole month of December, we are bringing you a few podcast remix episodes. And what that means is we're talking about some of our favorite guests on the show so far that we loved, that we really respected, and that maybe after listening to their episode again, have brought a couple new thoughts about setting goals and how they apply to our own lives in a different way. So for me, immediately, Jen Ader's episode jumped into my head. So that is the episode that I want to bring you guys this week. Um, Jen Ader is the Women's Health Fitness Director. She's a wonderfully well-spoken woman, and she talks about her experience of training for and completing the Kona World Championship Ironman. And not a distance runner, not an endurance athlete myself. I didn't know at all what that was, uh, but I learned from hearing through Jen's experience of retelling this journey what it was. And not only was I impressed, I was truly inspired by hearing her journey to completing the Ironman. You'll hear in this episode that she walks us through her training her training process, which she describes as transformative for her life. Uh, and as, as you're listening, think about maybe how this process that she goes through could apply to any goal that you set. That's what I did. And I heard so many nuggets of wisdom that I take to heart when I think about the goals that I want to work towards, or maybe the goals that I'm a little bit afraid to even say out loud. Right off the bat, when you hear her talk about how this was an emotional journey as much as it was a physical one, I was pretty much obsessed with how she broke down the whole Iron Man into three separate mantras um, from, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but it it was it was like a way of categorizing her training plan, not from a physical mileage perspective, but how she was going to set up her her mind for success. I didn't know this, but you can't run this marathon. You can't do this event with headphones. So she had to come up with a really unique way to get control over those crazy thoughts that run through your mind for up to 17 hours of your day when you're completing this intense challenge. So when I listened to this episode, I thought about how the things that I want to accomplish in my life are lofty goals and that I'm honestly still afraid to say them out loud because I don't know how I'm going to get there. And she says that. That really resonated with me because she didn't know how she was going to get to complete that Ironman challenge. But eventually, after three weeks of pondering it, she just said, okay, I'm in this. And she committed to it. Even though she dealt with imposter syndrome along the way, feeling like she didn't deserve to be there for whatever reason, but she stayed committed. She stayed with it. And I feel like as long as you commit to doing your best and to showing up for yourself, then it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter if you don't know how you're going to get there. If you can ultimately find some trust in yourself, that's going to carry you further than you could ever imagine. You'll hear another anecdote that she talks about at her halfway point where she eventually was able to just get out of her own way and to blow past any training goals she even could have imagined for herself at that halfway point. And she realized that really she was the only thing standing in her way from going for something bigger. 
I'm such a fan of her and I'm such a fan of this story. I can't wait for you all to hear it or to hear it again. I hope that you enjoy it and I hope that you have a wonderful, happy holiday season from all of us here at A Sweat Life and on the We Got Goals podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Kristen Guile and Maggie Umberger. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. Good morning. Gina, you spoke with Jen Ader, who is the fitness director of Women's Health this week. I sure did. And what an inspiration Jen is. Throughout our talk, I think I gasped. I had a smile across my face, and I definitely cried. (laughs) Good summary. (laughs) And she is also an Ironman Kona finisher, which I didn't know what that was prior to hearing this interview. So what's actually really interesting about this is the campaign that Jen was a part of with Chocolate Milk is actually something I worked on in my past life the year before she was on it. So in 2013, I was a part of that campaign working on chocolate milk, and I got to see sort of the journey that she went through, and I just missed her by a year. So throughout her explanation of sort of what she went through and how she was trained by Paula Newby Frazier and how she had these incredible teammates like Apollo Ono, I could identify with that journey so deeply because I had seen it once before. But her sort of personal take on it was so interesting to hear. One, because she had been an athlete before, and two, because she had this sort of wavering journey of self-doubt, accomplishment, and in believing in herself, just as I feel anyone does the first time they do anything. While she was training with a chocolate milk team, she had some sort of realization that she mentioned during the podcast. Can you speak to that and describe what her big epiphany was? She realized that she was the thing standing in her way, which was incredible to hear her say, because I believe that was the moment I cried. (laughs) So Jen realized at the end of her half Ironman, which is a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike ride, and a 13.1 mile run, she realized that she blew her own projected time out of the water because she wasn't running with a watch and there was a malfunction with it in her actual swim. She saw that she actually could accomplish so much more than she was giving herself credit for when she just sort of let go and was in the moment as an athlete and trusted her training. And her training really is pretty simple. She talks about loving just straight strength and running amidst being the fitness director of women's health. Yes. So her preferred training normally is not Ironman training. Ironman training is really involved. Oftentimes, athletes will have to do two disciplines in one day, sometimes morning, sometimes evening, or sometimes they'll have to stack them in a brick workout. But she is generally a big fan of just a down and dirty strength training program, sort of similar to what you'll see on the pages of Women's Health and also in the pages of her new and second book, Fitness Fix. They have a mix of a lot of different things, but they'll always have those sort of tried and true, pick up some dumbbells and do this workout kind of routine. And that's her preference, and it works for her. But when she was training for Ironman, she was doing these 
long workouts, these distance workouts. She was running more than five or six miles because she had to finish a day of fitness with a marathon. She'd never run a marathon before doing Ironman Kona, which is sort of nuts to think about. But she did it. She got through it and she was able to hug her dad at the finish line. We can't wait to hear your interview with Jen here. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset. I'm Gina Anderson Cohen, and I'm here with Jen Ader, who is the fitness director at Women's Health. Jen, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so Jen, you have a really cool job, and we're so excited to have you, but you're also an accomplished athlete and a writer and a published author. So can you tell me a little bit about how you spend your days? Yeah, you know, the the kind of beauty and, and madness of, of my job and my career is that no two days are ever the same. In fact, rarely are two days ever even remotely the same. As the fitness director here at Women's Health, I balance a lot of different responsibilities. First and foremost, I'm responsible for the stories and the editing of the fitness content inside our magazine. So that involves a lot of working back and forth with writers, getting stories approved, coming up with the monthly lineups that I pitched to our editor-in-chief, and writing a lot of the stories myself, and kind of managing our internal team and all the goals and deadlines that we have here. I also work on our online content. I do a lot of our videos. So there'll be days where I might take a two-hour break in the middle of the day to change into some workout clothes and go record some videos for our social team and our online team. And then there's other days where I'm doing, I do a lot of press and interviews with the different objectives and things that we're working on for the brand. So yesterday I was in Atlanta doing a bunch of press at the CNN headquarters there. So, you know, that's kind of one of the more glorious looking days where, you know, you're getting hair and makeup and you're running on and off set and trying to catch up frantically with your emails as you're in between everything. And, but a lot of the days are just plugging behind a desk and, you know, working very long hours. I I always joke that there's rarely days where I don't have a second job where I don't go home at the end of the night and, and have another big chunk of assignments or things that I need to work on. So there's there's plenty of days where it's just kind of grinding through a very, very big, long to-do list. And then you know I get to mix in some opportunities to have some fun and go check out new brands and new workouts and talk to experts and just kind of experience a lot of the cool stuff happening inside the fitness scene. So before I ask you our two big questions, I need to know, what is your favorite workout right now? You know, I I probably buck the trend of most fitness editors. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty traditionalist. I am not somebody who, you know, I, I check out a lot of the new workouts. I love them for what they give to different people. And I love them for first and foremost, being vessels to bring more people into fitness. I'm somebody who's lived my life with sport and fitness as a huge centerpiece of it. So for me, anything that brings more people into it, I'm, I'm so jazzed about, but I think just with my schedule and, you know, the different fitness goals that I tend to be working towards, I I tend to be a, a pretty straightforward, a pretty basic fundamental. Um, I like a good run, good solo run, a good long swim by myself and some pretty basic strength training, some simple circuits and a pair of dumbbells or a resistance band and a good playlist and I'm good to go. Gets the job done. It does. Yeah. 
I, I'm kind of the same way, and this is not about me, but I'm kind of the same way where I will a couple days a week just opt to work out alone because it just clears your head. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially in the field that I'm in, we have access to so much. So it's such a, an amazing thing to be able to go check out the latest spin studio and, you know, go to the latest yoga class or the latest fusion class. And sometimes it can get murky of, is this my job or am I doing this for my fitness? Mm -hmm. You know? And so I kind of tend to keep the two pretty separate and and my workouts are my workouts. And like I said, you know, it, it, it gives me so much and I have my own goals and objectives of why I, I have my own why of why I work out. So for me, that just tends to be easier to do in my own kind of bubble rather than going to all the different classes. But certainly like Tone House is a great one. That's always a lot of fun to go with a group. And Swerve is a cycling studio here in New York that um, I've really been liking. So there's there's definitely ones that you know I always have a great time whenever I get an opportunity to check them out. But I tend to be a go at my own speed type person. I love it. Know who you are. So can you tell me about a big goal that you accomplished and how you got there? Uh, yeah, probably the biggest goal I've accomplished is I completed the Ironman, the world championship Ironman in Kona. And that was back in 2014. And it was by far the the process of it was by far the most transformative thing I've ever done. And like I said, I've I've been an athlete my whole life. I played D1 lacrosse. I have fitness in my job title, but this was really pushing it for me. I had never done any type of endurance efforts before. And for anyone listening that that isn't familiar with Ironman, it's a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike, and then a full marathon at the end, just in case you felt like you hadn't done enough. And I had done one sprint triathlon. I had done maybe two half marathons prior to tearing my ACL and having ACL and meniscus reconstruction. So I had been approached by Chocolate Milk and who we had worked with a bunch with work stuff. And they were putting together a program and, and wanted one female everyday athlete. And then they had a male pro athlete who was Apollo Ono, the speed skater. And they said, hey, like, we would love for you to join him. And we want to kind of document the two of you trying to reach this big goal that neither of you have any experience to be able to do. And it took me probably three weeks to answer. You know, there was there was a, a lot of gut check, soul searching, because it was so far outside my comfort zone. It was something that I truly did not know if I could do. I had never clipped into a road bike before. I was terrified of swimming in the open water. I don't particularly love ocean swimming. So while I grew up a competitive swimmer, I I was not experienced in open water swimming. And I'd never run a marathon before. And at that point, I was only running about three miles a few times a week. Um, I was about 13 months post-op. So I had a lot of doubts, a lot of insecurity about doing it. Because not only was I going to try to do it, I was going to try to do it in six months. And I was also going to do it while sharing our experience with a large audience. And it was really intimidating. But you know, I think at the end of the day, it was an opportunity to do a arguably one of the most famed and historic and legendary races that I've watched, you know, year after year, those NBC broadcasts. I mean, I watched them, I cry to them. It's always so moving. So I, you know, it was an opportunity to do something that 
I had so much respect and reverence for. And also it was an opportunity to really see what I was made of. And, you know, I, I realized at that point in my life, I, I had made, I built a career out of trying to encourage women and people to go chase their big goals. And I had, you know, spent my career interviewing athletes and then, you know, putting those into stories that people could read and be inspired by. And yet I was kind of sitting on the sideline a little bit and I was intimidated by the challenge of it for myself. And so, you know, I decided just to say, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll try and I'll try my best and, you know, win, lose or, or draw, I'll put everything I can into it. And then began some of the hardest months of my life. Thankfully, my workplace was very understanding. It's not like I could just be out of work for half the day to go train, but they were more understanding if, you know, if I just squeeze in a swim in the morning and come in with a little bit wet hair, you know, they, they kind of gave me some passes here and there, but you know, I really, I, they teamed us up with some coaching staff and some nutrition staff members that really helped to just day after day, give us the tools to be able to go out and do this because I certainly would not have been able to do it on my own. So I had a one-on-one coach. I used this great app called Training Peaks, which you can use for free and just kind of log your workouts. And you can it allows you to kind of like set your plan for the week. And then as you complete them, it syncs with your watches and it'll show you if you were like green and did an amazing job on your workout or yellow and kind of, you know, kind of got there or like red, you didn't do it. But I also had a coach that would then go in and I would leave notes for him. He was really big on, he wanted me to leave emotional notes as well as performance notes. So not only, you know, how did it go? How did it feel? How was your knee? How was, you know, this and that, but how, how did you feel? So it was really an interesting process of watching how much your emotional state, you know, being stressed from work or, you know, coming back on a red eye from a business trip and, you know, feeling really exhausted and run down and, or having a lot of anxiety over a workout that felt kind of, you know, too much for me at that time, it showed in the performance, you know, it, it reflected in the workouts that maybe went really well or didn't go so well. And, and he really took all that into account and would adjust my schedule and my workouts based on not just my physical progress, but, you know, my emotional things that were going on too, and my logistical things that were going on. And so, yeah, I basically just really committed to the plan and had a lot of doubts, had no idea how all the pieces were going to fit together. About three months in, we did a half Ironman. Apollo did Boise. Then three weeks later, I did Muncie. Muncie, Indiana. I found myself doing a half Ironman, which is 70.3. So half a distance of the full Ironman. And I was super intimidated. And even going into that, I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. You know, I was crying the night before. I was, I was, I was certain that I had not done enough work to be able to do, you know, this. And kind of by a act of God or stroke of grace or something, my watch kind of malfunctioned after the swim in the transition to the bike. So I was getting, I had no idea where I was at. Like I, I think it was recording the whole time, but it was showing me weird screens. So I had no perception of what I was doing. All I could do was be in the moment and do it. And I kind of just plugged along and I, and I worked the plan that me and my coach had figured out and really paid attention to my effort. And I finished that had no idea about what my time was. And I'll never forget the moment where, you know, I was I was with my dad and a couple of our other, you know, our team that was working on this project. And 
and they told me my time and it was easily like two hours faster than what I had projected for myself. Like my really like self-deprecating goal just got blown out of the water. And I think that was probably the most eye-opening moment. Obviously then three months later, finishing the race in Kona was probably the most emotional moment, but, but that one in Muncie, Indiana was, was the most eye-opening of, wow, like I can do so much more than I think I can. Like I, I am the thing in my way. I really grabbed onto that moment and really let it kind of fully, you know, affect me because I was so blown away that the whole time, I mean, my whole support staff, everybody else thought I could do this. You know, everybody else was like, Hey, your training's going really well. You're doing the workouts, but, but me as the individual, as the self doubting individual was so certain that I hadn't done enough, that I wasn't measuring up, that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, and then to, exceed, you know, I hadn't even thought I would succeed. I, I definitely thought I was going to fail. And then to not only succeed, but to blow out any perception that I had of how I could do, it was really a turning point for me. And so from then I was able to kind of, you know, it didn't get mentally easier. There were plenty of really tough workouts and I did a lot of it on my own. And a lot of people said, oh, well, you should join a running group here in the city, or you should join a biking group here in the city because then you'll have people to share these huge workouts with. And for me, it was really important because I knew when I got to that Ironman, I was going to be doing it alone. There wasn't going to be anybody running with me. There wasn't going to be anybody biking with me. And I was going to have to spend that time possibly up to 17 hours of my life alone. And so for me, it was important to spend those months practicing that. And for me, that meant having to do the workouts by myself. And so, you know, there were a lot of really towards the peak of that training cycle. And I was probably doing lower mileage than other people in Ironman training plans because we were trying to be really cautious of my knee to not, you know, get injured and to do just enough that I needed to, to complete the race because I wasn't trying to race the race. And so, yeah, I, I, I remember that, I mean, on a Friday, I would do a four mile swim on a Saturday, then I would wake up and do 110 miles on the bike and then get right off and run seven to nine miles. Wow. And then the Sunday I would run 20 miles. So, I mean, this was all so new to me and, and so, so outside of what I had ever done before. And so, yeah, there were a lot of very humbling moments during all of that, but I really, you know, after that half Ironman, I was able to just say, Hey, okay, something's working. I don't have to understand it, but I'm going to respect what they're putting together for me and what they're telling me to do. And I'm going to trust that I've got really smart people helping me do this. And if I do what they tell me to do to my best, to best, best of my ability, I'll be able to do this thing. And so, yeah, October rolled around race was here. We went to Kona two weeks early to adjust um, to the heat and kind of get used to everything there. And even still, I, I really did not think I'd be able to do it. It's just such a massive, massive thing. And I remember the night before crying to my dad, who was there with me. And, and I said, what are, you know, what are they going to do? We had been recording these, you know, little videos that ran on YouTube and we did eight of them to kind of show the journey. And I said, what are they going to do if I don't finish? What, what are they going to, everybody's going to see that. How are they going to make the last you know, I was so nervous about letting other people down. I was so nervous about 
the external perception of taking on something like that, that was so big. And, you know, at the end of the day, I woke up race morning and said, I, I still have the alarm on my phone, the alarm notification on my phone, because I, I never want to forget it. But I just set up the alarm to say, cherish this day. And I really felt like at the end of those six months, I had already gone so far outside of what I thought I could do for myself that, you know, no matter what happened, I feel like a lot of times when we get into races and we, you know, are chasing these big goals, we immediately are focusing on the negative of it, you know, the performance, or I want to reach this goal, I want to do this thing. And I just said, you know, I've, I've put in so much work, like this has already been like the most, like I said, transformative thing I've ever done in my life. I just want to go out and enjoy it. And I don't want to waste this once in a lifetime opportunity that I'm being given on being caught up on the nerves or being caught up in the anxiety of what if I fail or anything like that. And so I, I went out and I had a very thought through mental game plan because for me, the, the performance side was a little bit more straightforward. You know, it's basically just figuring out that yellow type of effort that, that feels comfortable to sustain. And, you know, I kind of broke up the race in three parts. I, the swim, my mantra was, I can and I just kept repeating, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And for me, that was a huge part of reaching a level of deservedness to be there because these are the best athletes in the country. These, these people have worked some of them, their lives to be there. And, you know, I kind of got a, a fast pass to be able to enter this race through this, this opportunity that I was given. And, I took it so seriously, but I also felt so undeserving because of all these other amazing athletes that were around me. And, you know, I really had to, I had a talk with um, one of the pro Ironman athletes before. And he said, look, Jen, maybe at the beginning of this, you didn't deserve to be here. Sure. Maybe at the very beginning, but now you've done everything that all these other athletes have done to get here. Like you've put in the work. So you have to kind of remember that, that you've put in the work. And so that kind of attitude kind of helped carry me through the rest of the day. During the bike, I said, I am doing this. I am doing this. I am doing this. I am doing this. Because I needed to be present. I needed to be focused on the mile I was in. I needed to not be worried about the run that was coming up. I needed to not, I needed to be very, very present because the bike to me was the way, the most technical, the thing that I had to be the most, you know, concentrated on getting my nutrition at the right time, getting my speed at the right time, focusing on my pedal stroke, all of those things. So I am doing this. And then the run was, I will do this because, you know, I, I knew it needed to be emotional for me. I knew, I knew it was going to be emotional for me. And I, I remember talking to my dad at the very start of this and we, and we mapped out, you know, we broke down, there's different cutoff points for this race and, and you have 17 hours to complete it. So we had figured out, okay, well, you know, even if you, if you make it through the bike cutoff, then you have eight hours to do the marathon. So technically you, you could walk it, you could walk it, you could walk an entire marathon. And that was kind of one of the questions that I had to answer for myself before I said, yes, I said, am I willing to walk an entire marathon? depending on whatever happens that day, because I have no idea, would I be willing to walk for 26.2 miles? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I, to be able to walk on historic ground like that, to be able to follow through on something that I'm going to set out to do. Yeah, I would be willing to walk it 
even though it'd be a very long, long part of the day. So thankfully I got there and I didn't have to walk it and I was able to, to run the whole thing, but I just kept saying, I will do this. And I, I broke it down by thinking about one person every mile because you're not, you're also not allowed to use headphones. So I'm a big music person. When I run other races, I, I listen to music and I, you couldn't have anything. So there's, there's a lot of thinking that goes on during that day. And you've got to manage your, your head space more so than your, you know, physical space. And so I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to force myself to only think about one person for every mile. And I dedicated a mile to each, you know, to, to 26 people that had really been the reason that I was there, you know, from, from my doctor who gave me the green light and then, you know, helped monitor everything that was going on and making sure my knee was, was solid to, Apollo being such a great teammate and supportive, you know, friend to, you know, my best friend in high school who I played lacrosse with. And she's always been an inspiration to me, you know, just different people that along the way, and I get choked up even just thinking about it now, you know, who have built me up and supported me and given me the confidence that I didn't have in order to do something like this. Because like I said, I, I did not believe I could do it, but they all did. And you know, I think one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody is, is your confidence in them. And I'm kind of a a living proof of that. I, I have been the result of people giving me their confidence in me and that lifting me up enough to take on big goals and to chase things that seem intimidating. And so that, that run is probably one of the most memorable runs I've ever had. And you know, I got, I got back after and, and wrote a letter to each person and told them, you know, what I was thinking of and what part of the race I was in and what, which mile I dedicated to them. And it really just brought the whole thing full circle. And, you know, I got to cross that finish line, um, 13 hours and 17 minutes after I started. Um, wow. Yeah. A very long day. I got to do that and I got to run to my dad and hug my dad who was standing at the finish line. But it was really such a beautiful race to remember that, you know, to be able to finish it, remembering that I'm really here because of so many people. And I got to share this with so many people. And for me, that made it so much more meaningful than just if I had accomplished a singular goal on my own. So yeah, that very long-winded story was is is definitely my my biggest goal that I've accomplished. Jen, that, <laughs> what an incredible saga is the best way. It was like Odessian. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it felt it. Yeah. It felt it during the time. So I I have so many questions. First and foremost, I, I think it, it's so interesting that you sort of felt the weight of your decision to say yes. Um, to this throughout, like just hearing you talk about it at different points, like what if I don't succeed? What if I don't succeed? And then just seeing yourself not only succeed, finish, crush it. You didn't walk a marathon. <laughs> um, you probably stopped a couple times if if you had to like, to eat something. But like just hearing you tell it, you killed it. At, was there any point during the bike, during the swim, during the run when you didn't think you could do it? Yes. There was one specific point in the race where I did not think I could do it. And I was approaching the climb to Javi. So the road to Javi is kind of a signature point of the Ironman World Championship bike course. And it's about a seven mile climb, just a steady 
low grade incline, but, but steady, uh, for, I believe about seven miles. And then when you get there, that's the turnaround point of the bike race. And I'm climbing and it had been a really tough, again, I'm not a strong cyclist, but I was climbing and, you know, it was really hard. And there weren't a ton of women in the race. There's probably about, I think, 635 the year I did it and total about 1200 age group guys. So a lot of guys, not that many women as I'm climbing this woman in all hot pink, hot pink, like helmet, hot pink, tri-suit, hot pink bike, hot pink shoes, everything starts climbing past me. And she's like, Oh man, the heat and wind are brutal today. And I was like, oh yeah, and you could tell this woman had done this, but like she just looked so pro, like she was like just jacked and so impressive and a slightly older woman and just looked like, okay, she's been here before. And so I was, I was like, I'm glad to hear you say that because this is my first time. And she's like, just keep going. Just keep pedaling. You're almost there. Thank you. Thank you. And she's like, keep it up. Great job. And you know, it, it was so nice because throughout the entire race, whenever a woman passed you or you passed a woman, there was, there was a real solidarity and there was a very, everybody cheered for each other. Everybody supported each other. It was, it was really nice. So she passed me up. She went, you know, that was it. And I get to the turnaround point and coming back and now you're going down, downhill. And throughout the race, you're kind of going through these lava fields and some of them have these kind of like big rocks that you're, you're going through. So you're facing a lot of headwind, but then you're also, because of how these rocks are, you get these sudden bursts of side winds that kind of come out of nowhere. And, you know, our, our coach, coaching staff and team had told us about this. So they had said, you know, you're going to feel, you could feel these gusts coming from the side and it's, it's a little bit shaky at times. I mean, these bikes are super light. I feel like my bike weighed probably 12 pounds, you know, and you're coming downhill and and all of a sudden the the side winds are really starting to pick up and i'm looking down and and i i wasn't always super comfortable in that arrow position where you're leaned over the bars and you're really down low on your bike that that was intimidating to me to get used to especially when going downhill and one of our coaches was the legendary Polynubri Fraser and she's the queen of Kona and I remember her saying to me, there are going to be times where you get scared and where that wind comes out of nowhere and hits you on the side and you feel shaken. And she's like, you're going to be tempted to sit up on your bike. You're going to be tempted to sit up, sit back because that's the instinct that feels safer. And she's like, that is the time that you need to lean in and commit because the safest thing you can do, practically speaking, is lean over that front wheel because these bikes are so light that if you're sitting up and sitting back, that front wheel can get picked up a lot easier from these gusts of sidewinds. So I had remembered that she said that to me. I was trying to stay down. I was trying to stay down. And all of a sudden I look up and I see that all these people in front of me are, are swerving around something. And I can't tell what's going on, but they're clearly like really moving around something. And as I get closer, I see the all pink everything and the woman was being carried off in a stretcher oh god and I mean I was shaking I was tearing up I had to actively be like oh my gosh calm down calm down because it it was the only moment where I had passed the point of thinking oh my gosh can I do this once I got through the swim I was like oh man all right uh, we'll figure this out (laughs) you know like we're gonna we're gonna get through this 
it was the only point of the race where I thought maybe I won't be able to do this because there's somebody who is clearly more experienced than me, clearly has done this before. And she's not even able to finish because a freak, you know, maybe she was reaching for her water when a, when a gust of wind came and, and, you know, wiped her out or, or maybe who knows, you know, and, and anything like that could happen. And I, I could just be, I could be done. And again, I, I found myself kind of sitting up and I, w- I was trying to get my composure. And I heard Paula, you know, as I'm like shaking, trying not to cry and trying to push through it. And I just found myself saying, commit, commit, get back down on your bike, put your head down. You can be shaky, but get back down and commit. And the wind was was really rough for probably the next like 10 miles after that had happened. And I just felt so scared, like to my core scared of like, oh my gosh, is that going to happen to me? But I just kind of kept pedaling and I just kind of kept listening to what she had said. And I just tried to make it one more mile, make it one more mile. And, and eventually then, you know, I felt calmer. The wind started to calm down. You're starting to get closer, you know, back into town to get off your bike. But I tell you, I, I have never been so happy to get off a bike in my entire <laughs> life <laughs> when I finally made it back to transition. Oh my gosh. So all, all of these sort of big lessons learned from the Ironman world championship course and the six months leading up to it, you, I'm sure you've learned this at various points, but you really literally leaned into your fear and you learned that you were the thing getting in your own way how has that played into other areas of your life and how you set goals now? Oh my gosh. I, yeah, it, it was the most eye-opening thing because I've always considered myself a very motivated, a very positive, a very optimistic person. And I do think that I am all those things. But what I realized was you can still be all that and you can still be very, very hard on yourself. And you can still be very judgmental of yourself and you can still be limiting yourself, even though you're positive and optimistic and motivated. And, you know, I think as women, we do this all too often and and we don't recognize, we can see it in others. Like we can see it if our friend is, you know, putting themselves down or not realizing their potential, but we have a hard time recognizing it in ourselves, especially I think for like type A, really motivated women. I think it's hard to separate the line of where am I being just rational and self-aware and and appropriately tough on myself and where am I maybe being so tough on myself that I'm holding myself back. So I think, you know, the process itself really showed me that finding sounding boards and finding an external outlet to have is something that I think needs to be relied on more. I think that being able to think of a crazy dream or think of a crazy goal And then as soon as I start hearing myself say, oh, well, that's like way outside something you could do. That's like, that's pretty, that's pretty ambitious. I kind of pause and check myself and find one of my inner circle people and and talk to them about it and say, I've got this goal, you know, and this is, this seems crazy. This seems like something I would never be able to do. And, you know, maybe they're like, yeah, no, I agree. That's kind of crazy. Like that's, that's probably outside what you could do. Or they're like, no, that's, easily something you can do, you know, and, and kind of finding that, that helpful check and balance to just kind of, 
I feel like the process showed me that I need to be more self-aware of the places where maybe I'm holding myself back. And it usually is in places where I'm nervous, you know, and where I'm intimidated or, or where something means a lot to me. And maybe it's a really big dream or a really big goal and it matters so much more. And then it almost has this like contradictory result where like, then I doubt that I can or should do it type of thing. Um, so yeah, I think like leaning on others and really trying to have a, a, a team that I can, I can rely on to give me really good feedback. And, and I just think like, like I said, like voicing the things that I actually want. I think for a long time, Iron Man never would have been something that would have put on my radar. I, it, it, it never would have been a goal because it was so far outside of something that I thought I could do. My bucket list goal was to do a marathon. Like that was it. So I think allowing myself to think bigger while also realizing that like, A, to do those really big things, you've got to like really be ready to want it. So it can't just be like, oh, I want to be, you know, I I don't even know. Like I want to go do some like crazy accomplishment or something. Like you have to then really want it because like I had to put a lot of other aspects of my life on hold to be able to do that Ironman race. And I don't regret a single second of it. I don't, you know, I would never have changed anything for the world, but people always ask me, oh, would you do it again? And I said, yeah, I would never say no. It was the best day of my life. Those 13 hours were the best day of my life, but I'd have to have a really good reason because that's just not something that I can right now in my life fit into my normal life, you know, and my, my relationships suffered. You know, I, I wasn't able to travel a lot. I wasn't able to do other things. And so everything comes at a cost and everything, there's a balance to, to all of it. So I think, yeah, the biggest thing that I came out of that was, was just realizing that maybe I sometimes have a blind spot for my own potential and just starting to take baby steps to self-correct that by articulating and actually out loud saying things that I have goals of doing or dreams of doing to other people to see if that is realistic and to kind of help bring those dreams to life. So I think that's probably one of the the biggest takeaways that I've seen play out over the past few years. Incredible. So can you tell me about a goal that you're striving to accomplish in the future and how you plan to get there? I feel like I'm in a unique part of my career where, as a lot of people are always talking about, oh, magazines are dying off and oh, media is changing. And the landscape is certainly changing. In my professional life, I feel like it's not super clear what the next five years will bring to any of it. And I think overall, I've been trying to use that window of doubt and all that. I love what I do. I I love my job and I love my career, but I also want to think about the big picture and like, what do I want to be doing 10 years from now? Like, what direction do I want to be moving in? Like, what do I really feel passionate about in all these things that I'm doing? You know, I think it usually circles back on a few common themes, one of which is mentoring and and working with women more directly. I feel like I have such an amazing opportunity to speak to a lot of women with women's health, but I I love the interacting and the actual getting to like sit down and and whether it's younger girls who are high school, college, and trying to figure out those goals that they want to accomplish for themselves or women my same age that are, you know, trying to navigate things. 
I really love the idea of being able to do something more directly there. And also just like little goals. Like I have a dream of being a correspondent for the Olympics. Like that's like something that like, since I was a kid, I like have always wanted to be. And so in 2016, knowing that that had been something that's always been in the back of my mind, but I had never done anything about it. I worked really, really hard to get women's health accredited. And I was able to go to Rio as an accredited journalist for the Olympics. So it was my first time being there to cover the games from the ground. And again, it was kind of one of those things where I was so glad I kind of put my foot out there and and said I wanted to do it. Because while I was there, you know, being in the press conferences and after the competitions, you, you know, kind of go into like the press press ring and get to talk to the athletes and being there, I felt like I was so in the place I was supposed to be. It was, and there were other colleagues that were there for also the first time. And you could tell we're kind of like, I'm glad I'm here, but this probably isn't for me, you know? And I felt it was exhausting. It was really draining. It was, you know, running around for 16 hours a day all over the place, but I really felt so engaged and so excited. And, and I just really did feel like it was a place for me. So, you know, hopefully I can keep taking steps to making that more of a consistent thing for, um, I won't be going to South Korea, but hopefully the Tokyo 2020, I'll be able to keep working towards figuring out something that, you know, will get me there and allow me to, to share those stories and and cover that. Cause I just find the Olympics to be some of the most inspiring few weeks and year leading up to it that, you know, for me as an athlete, I really, really get motivated by, by that time period. So I'd love to be involved in it more. Incredible. Well, we'll look for you in the Olympic (laughs) games on the sideline at the press conferences. And who knows, someone might offer you the opportunity to train for the decathlon one day. (laughs) You never know. You never know. And I would be crazy enough to do it probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. Hey, goal getters. This is Cindy Kuzma just popping back in to let you know that we're about to play a goal from one of you, our listeners. If you would like to share your goal with us, a goal you've accomplished in the past, a goal you have for the future, or your best goal-getting tip, all you have to do is record a voice memo on your phone or computer and email it to me, cindy at asweatlife.com. You could hear yourself on an upcoming episode of We Got Goals. Now, here is one of your goals. One goal that I've accomplished in the past year is that I am now working full-time at Advocate Children's Hospital. I started working there as a registry therapist when I was still working in the school setting, and I then I worked there part-time, and now I'm there full-time as a pediatric physical therapist. It has been so important to me because I'm learning so much, um, so much in a variety of areas, and I feel like it's the best place for me to foster growth and continue learning as a newer um, pediatric physical therapist. And one big goal that I have is I just signed up to run the Chicago Marathon supporting Dare to Try, an organization that's based in Chicago that supports athletes, um, kids and adults with physical and visual impairments. I am hoping to break four hours with a reach goal of qualifying for the Boston Marathon. And it's really important to me because I have loved being a part of the Chicago running community 
community, and I'm really excited to support an organization that that encourages and helps athletes with disabilities participate and get more active. I'm looking forward to being a part of the, the Dare to Try team, and I'm so excited to be a Sweat Life Ambassador and get to go through the marathon training process with some new friends as well. Thanks. Girl, sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. Just know I'll be back, so no need to frown. This podcast is a SweatLife.com production, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, including on Spotify. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or a review, we would be really grateful. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guest in this previous episode, Jen Ader, to Ryan Deffitt for editing, to Tech Nexus for the recording studio, and of course, to you, our listeners. Happy holidays.